Good morning to all of you. It's good to be here with you on this frigid February morn. I may have mentioned uh, this, this book before, um, but there's a book I was reading not long ago, and I've read it, I, I think, twice. It's by a guy named Viktor Frankl, and it's a well-known book. It's called Man's Search for Meaning. And Viktor Frankl, if you don't know the story, was a physician, and he got caught up in uh, the happenings of World War II, and he was Jewish and went to a camp where he endured uh, several years of, of being subjected to the conditions that you're likely somewhat familiar with um, and he wrote this book trying to uh, describe, yes, the events that he experienced, but more so examining what made the difference for people that were able to uh, sur- survive that with, with their mind intact, in, in um, rather than um, you know, go- going, going insane, um, losing all sense of hope, being subjected to just utter and total despair? What was it that made the difference between one person compared to the other person? And you could go read the book, but I'll save you a little bit of time if you don't. Um, He, in essence, concluded that hope was very powerful for pulling people forward through the darkest of days. And allowing them to come out on the other end of something so entirely um, catastrophic in life that they were able to to carry on once they got um, their freedom. And as I was kind of reading this book, Katie came home one day and told me a story. And if you don't know, uh, she's, so she's a physician at, at, with the VA, right? So she takes care of veterans. She had a 98-year-old World War II patient one day. And um, he started sharing with her, as, as people tend to do with my wife, things that were very personal. Um, he, had, he said he never told anybody this, but told her that he was part of a group of soldiers, uh, Marines, I don't, I don't know, that um, were there to release uh, prisoners of a, of a concentration camp. And he had pictures that he had kept hidden in his basement. And he had never told anybody this. And he was a 98-year-old man, like, weeping, kind of telling the story. And it was just very, I mean, I was like, wow, that is, I've never heard anything like that before. But when captives of these concentration camps heard rumors that the Allies were on their way, perhaps, and then one day they look up and they see their captors abandon their post, which is followed by these Allied soldiers, Marines, walking up to the gates, you know, maybe cutting the chains, opening the gates. If those prisoners possessed any hope at all, 
at that point in their experience. They knew the f- way to freedom. It, 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 was right, it was right there before them. They knew the way out of misery. You have to imagine that over the course of their experience, some of them that were, for whatever reason, whether it was hope or something <laughs> that kept them tuned in to the reality of life beyond those gates, you have to imagine some of them looked as they would pass by those gates and looked out and maybe they plotted every footstep. Maybe they imagined a thousand times what it would be like to be able to get their freedom back, to walk beyond the bounds of, of their prison. To experience, once again, safety, comfort, warmth. Because darkness, darkness tends to breed hope. Right? And there's a lot of, there's a lot of darkness. Some, some, of, some of you have experienced a tremendous amount of darkness lately. Over the last year, over the last couple years, Culturally, we've all kind of been subjected to hard things one way or another. So darkness breeds hope, but hopeful people seize onto a dawning light. So think of something that you you recently hoped for. I'm not talking about my nine-year-old wanting a Xbox. Something that you know possesses substance. Something that is inherently valuable to the human experience. What if, what if someone showed up, some, some maybe unexpectedly, and, they, and, and for whatever reason you just perceived about this person that they could be a part of, or actually just usher in that, that hope that you, you felt. What if it was as if you were, you know, a prisoner in a concentration camp, and you, you see soldiers walking towards the camp, and, and you immediately recognized, this is, this is what I've been hoping for. These are the people that are here to make it happen. I mean, you might be stunned, you might be confused, maybe a little bewildered, like, do I believe what I'm seeing? But you might also quickly work through that and say, I'm, please, I'm, I'm going with you. Take me where I want to go. So you, you, you would, ideally, you would listen to them. You would, you would follow them. You would, you would cling to that person that, for whatever reason, possess the power to take you out of this darkness into light. And maybe this makes us desperate, right? We, we, we are desperate. But does it make us delusional? Not necessarily. I mean, people, people can be delusional and get duped by people selling something that they can't actually cash in on for you. Um, but it doesn't make us necessarily delusional, but it does... That sort of scenario makes us desperate. In, in our passage today, it's Matthew chapter 4. We're going through uh, Matthew as a series. 
And here's the, the kind of main idea that I, I want to keep you uh, tuned into. And this is Matthew 4, uh, starting in verse 12 through 22. But in this passage today, here's my summary of it. We see the dawning and the power of Jesus' hope-filled kingdom. We see the dawning and the power of Jesus' hope-filled kingdom. So let, let me pray for a moment. Lord, as we think about truth and deep truths, we think about the gospel writer Matthew, who endeavored to communicate things in a very particular way and in a very important fashion that he deemed valuable and he felt compelled to do, may we perceive it. May we perceive the message that he communicates as he was carried along by your spirit to write the words of scripture, which we are here so far removed from his day reading and contemplating. And may it encourage our spirit to see and behold Jesus, the one who brings hope and can secure hope for us and for the world. Amen. Let me read. It's short. When he heard that John, that is Jesus, when he heard, this is verse 12, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. He left Nazareth and went to live with live in Capernaum by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, along the road by the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and they followed him. Dawning of the kingdom is good news for those in darkness. Do you remember when the vaccines were kind of on the way? I remember Dr. Fauci saying the Calvary is coming. Just hold on. It's coming. The sense of like hope and anticipation. I think most of us kind of were like, oh, great, there's the light. There's the horizon. The sun is coming up. We can move on from this. We felt hope, right? I think collectively. And, you know, it's been a long and winding road. And here, here we are. And there's been times of hope, there's been times of despair. Uh, but we don't lose heart. But that sense of hope, that was the 
first example that came to my mind that you probably felt, or you, you felt it some form, some fashion, over the last couple of years. In verse 12, it talks about Jesus going to Capernaum, the region of Zebulun, Naphtali, and then Matthew quotes from Isaiah. Isaiah uh, 8, 21, kind of close in the region here where he, he quotes from. You can go look there, but it talks about the coming Assyrian army, which is going to decimate God's people. And it says this, it says, The dejected, the hungry, the enraged, they will be cursing God. God's people will see only distress, darkness, gloom of affliction, death, despair, despondency. But a little bit after that is the famous verse that you likely have heard concerning Christmas. But a child will be born for us. A son will be given for us. So out of this darkness comes this tremendous hope and message of salvation. Matthew quotes this to portray God's covenant people being in this great darkness in his day. Not way back in the Assyrian army day, but Matthew's day. There's a shadow of death that's around them. Um, the, the Jewish people, they, they had abusive overlords. Rome was oppressing them. They'd gone through years of war and struggle and decimation, failed strivings for freedom. There was poverty. There was corruption. But Matthew's quoting this, and it's as if to say, as this child was going to be born, here Jesus is walking into these same regions, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, the first to fall against the Assyrians. And here Jesus is putting his foot in those places. And there's this physical parallel to the metaphor of this dawning kingdom that comes when Jesus physically ventures there and walks around. Climbs up rocks, walks down by the Sea of Galilee, which was really a lake, a big lake, but Sea of Galilee. It's walking on the shore. Matthew sees it as this dawning light on the horizon, rising up for all to see. And then it says in verse 17, Jesus began to preach, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. Now this, this means a lot of things. It's a, it's a struggle to understand everything that that means, everything that that entails. We could spend a lot of time talking and thinking about that. But just stick with this. Stick with the idea of, of darkness to light. Because I think that's the emphasis that Matthew is going for. So stick, stick with the idea of darkness to light. Go, you, they go from night to day. You know what that is. You've been up in the middle of the night, worried, anxious, unable to sleep, staring at the ceiling. And the day comes and it feels a little better. I can get up. I can do this. So we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more um, later. But, but for now... There are seasons, there just are, of darkness. 
And there are places in our lives where there is darkness. And if you haven't experienced that, you, you, you will. You will experience it more. It's just how it is. And all of us know the feeling of wanting something that we've lost. Right? We've lost something. You want it. You want to return to what you, what you had. You hope for it. And all of us also, we, we, we long for something that we've never had. I, I, I hope for this. I, I, I need this. This will, this will feel good. This will help me. This will make life a little more tolerable. This will help me celebrate life. We long for stuff that we don't have. We long for something to come just around the bend, right? But let this idea of the kingdom of heaven being near, from verse 17, he says, Repent, Jesus said, for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's at hand. Let that idea, here's what I imagined it to be. Let it be like a, you've been walking through the city before and you hear a church bell in the distance. You know what that means, right? Let it be like a, a bell that we hear ringing across the city, testifying to us that the shadow is not forever. Again, let, let the idea of, of Jesus saying the kingdom of heaven is near, this light is dawning that Matthew's endeavoring to teach us, let, let it be like a, a bell ringing from heaven saying the shadow is not forever. The darkness is cannot stand here forever. Jesus' birth and his life, it is re-engineered reality. Because he came, there's no place that the light of his kingdom cannot penetrate. Or another metaphor, at risk of mixing metaphors, the, the train won't go backwards. It's, it's left the station. The train is moving forward. The kingdom is here. It is moving forward. God's people and the Christian in particular, you cannot get swallowed by the darkness again. Yes, shadows, you're going to pass through them. You're going to pass through long nights. Utter darkness? No. It might, it might feel that way. But because we've been brought into the light of Jesus' kingdom, we, we won't succumb to the darkness again. This absence of God's divine presence. And, and we're here to stay. This, this, is, this is where we're staying. We're staying in God's presence. And it's here, and that's the way it is. The passage goes on for, uh, so that was kind of the first, the first idea. The dawning of the kingdom is good news for those in darkness. So let your feelings and your desire for hope point you to good news, that the kingdom has come. And the second idea is that 
Jesus calls his first disciples. So in verse 18, uh, they're walking along. He's walking along. And there's two sets of brothers, Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Simon and Andrew, James and John, right? I think that's the, the pairing up of brothers. Have you ever wondered, like, what, what compelled them? They're out there fishing, it says, and it gives a sense of immediately they just left their boats, left their nets, left their dad, and they followed this guy walking along the shore. What, what compelled them? Like, put yourself in that scenario. Whatever your livelihood is, you're, you're out doing it, and... What would it take for you to just kind of drop that and go this way? Abandon, almost. I think abandon is the right word. What, what would you do if you were them? What would I, don't know, what would I do? What, what was it about Jesus that drew them to him? I, I'm not entirely sure. I, I do think that it goes back to our last point. Matthew's portraying these guys. I, th- I think if you read between the lines, you read what comes before, you read after. Matthew's portraying these guys as having been caught up in the drama of their day. Talked a little bit about it already, but the oppression that they were dealing with, the, the, the machinations of empire building, social classification systems, which are super sophisticated. Cultural dictates. Here's what this type of person can do. Here's what this type of person can't do. Religious power structures to try to make sense out of life. They're caught up in all this. They're dealing with it. It's in the air that they breathe. But somehow they knew that Jesus was their way to freedom, their way out of oppression, their transfer from this darkness into light. And so they just drop everything their life, their family, and they followed him. Like, how did they know he was this? How did they know this hope was there to be held? Where did their certainty come from? If, if you go on a little bit further in the passage, um, on to next week's verses, 23 and 25, I, here's what I think. I don't think that they're chronological. Um, it, it, it talks about... Now, Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news, healing everybody. Everybody was bringing people to him that needed to be healed. I don't think this is necessarily chronological. It happened after the disciples came. I think it's trying to just communicate the idea of what they were hearing and seeing about this man named Jesus. If nothing else, they'd heard likely that John the baptizer, John the Baptist, had seen Jesus, baptized him, and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Jesus was making a stir. And they saw this. This man was becoming famous, I think. His, his power was compelling. And he walks up one day, and he's like, looks at them. He says, follow me. Let's go. It's, it's like my opening analogy of the People in the concentration camp. Soldiers come up and they open the gates. They, they, it was obvious. This is what we have to do. This is what we've been looking for. Their very human hopes. Their very human hopes intersected 
with this power that was outside of themselves. They knew they were somewhat helpless. But then they also knew that someone from the outside came to help them. I think Matthew wants us as good readers to know that spiritually we too are helpless. We are dead. We are captive. We are broken. We are lost. We are bankrupt. These are all things that Scripture teach. But Jesus comes from the outside, sent by God. He's one of us, but entirely different than us at the same time. And he saves us. He offers salvation. He makes us alive. He purchased freedom. He restores and he redeems. He makes us his brother and his sister. He invites us to be co-heirs in his kingdom. He is worthy of our hope. And in your own life, here's my, my encouragement for you. Examine, it's my encouragement to me, examine Jesus' life. His claims to truth, the beauty with which he presented himself, the heart-piercing ways that he spoke, and looked through people and saw what was there that they didn't even know was there. Examine him and consider him as one worth trusting. One capable to fulfill hopes. Not, not hopes like we would always expect. But we all hope for something. I was listening to Tracy Chapman, Fast Car, the other night. Uh, I made my kids listen to it. I was struck. It's one of my like favorite songs, I'd say. The 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 way that she communicates. First of all, they were like, "Wait, that's a that sounds, that sounds like a man's voice. It's a woman's voice." The way that she communicates this 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 sense of hope. And we're going to move out of this shelter. We're going to move into the city. We're going to start a new life. You got you got a fast car, and we feel free when we're in your car. She communicates a sense of hope. But in the end, it fails. Um, But many of us find Jesus' life compelling. And we've experienced this power. We found it. We found him worthy of our loyalty and worthy of our hope. And we're all invited to consider why he is worthy of our faith for all of life. And then finally, the disciples too. So, Again, kind of two parts. Jesus' dawning kingdom. And then what happens with the disciples? The disciples embodied. They came to embody God's kingdom on earth. They were human testimonies of the hope of heaven. They were redeemed themselves. They weren't delusional. They were people that seized onto hope. And they were changed by it. And that's... That's what Christians are. Christians are people made alive by hope, anchored in truth. 
I'm not talking about a vague, sappy, sentimental sort of, oh, I hope everything works out. Because not everything works out. But an honest hope that acknowledges broken, dark things are a part of life. But the dawn of the hope is testifying to us that brokenness and darkness cannot have the last word. The hope-filled heavenly kingdom lived out by Jesus' followers on earth are here to make sure of that. So let us be thoughtful, intentional. Let us live lives that are aligned and testify to the hope of heaven. Lord, we pray for your help. We pray for your mercy. We pray that we would have eyes to see the goodness of heaven here on earth and how we get to be a part of that, offering hope, offering truth, offering mercy and grace that has been extended to us through you. We have been helpless. We've been broken. We've been lost. That is who we are when we come into this world. But you take us, you see us, you bind our wounds, you set us on a path which darkness cannot overcome. So help us to have thankful hearts, anticipate more and more hope to be realized as we see your kingdom dwell and take root and grow and bear fruit. May we be a part of it. In Christ's name, amen. Um, as we turn to take communion now, um, I'm wondering if maybe Joy and Emily, if you can hand out the cups, would be great. Um, so um, they're going to come around and hand out the uh, elements for communion, which we take together every week. And I'd encourage you to hold on to them as they come around. Wait until I invite you to take them so we can all take them together. And um, in light of what Danny shared with us this morning, I also would invite you to, as you are, even just as you're physically holding the cup, take it as a moment, an invitation to reflect on the current location of your hope. I would ask you to think, where is, where is my hope directed right now? Um, and how might this action of taking this wafer and this juice be an invitation from God to redirect, redirect my hope? Um, that's the question I would offer you. Um, as we get ready to take this together. Um, and I really appreciate how Danny shared that it's not a shallow or sentimental um, cliche hope, but it's a deep hope that acknowledges brokenness, but is still rooted in truth. Um, so however that hits you this morning, whatever's going on in your life, um, things that you're afraid to hope for, things that maybe have damaged your hope, um, I just encourage you to take this moment to reflect on that. Um, and then we're going to sing a short chorus um, after we take this together and we'll finish with some announcements um, and I'll give some instructions then for what we're going to do for the training, triad training afterwards. But, um, thank you. But I invite you now to take, take the cup and think of the words, the words of Jesus who 
um, said, every time you do this, you proclaim my death until um, I come again. Um, so open the top and take out the uh, wafer that points to the broken body, the broken flesh of Christ. Um, and I invite you to dip it into the juice, which points to the spilled blood shed for the new covenant that we can be a part of now. So I invite you to dip it and take it now. Pray with me. Lord, I pray we'd be a community that is deeply rooted in the hope you provide. And not a shallow hope that is provided by the world, but a deep hope that transcends, a deep hope that transcends even suffering. Um, does not ignore suffering, does not gloss suffering, but but yet transcends it. Uh, Lord, would you equip us with that? We need your Holy Spirit to live into that hope today and as we move on from this gathering. So Lord, I pray that you would stir us, stir us in that direction. May we be grounded deeply in the hope that only comes from knowing you as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.